Well, if you are just joining us, first of all, what in the world have you been doing? For second, sit down. Yeah. It's 3-3, second overtime. We got 7.38 left to go. Casey DeSmith started this game, played the first 60 minutes, the whole first overtime session, and then with 10.42 left in the second OT, there is an unknown ailment that has removed Casey DeSmith from this game. He removed himself. Play was stopped. So Louis Deming has entered the game in the second overtime session. He has stopped the first few shots he's seen. And the Penguins have a face-off coming up to the left of Igor Shosturkin. I think we, we believe. We believe. I actually had a quite the meal in between the first and the second uh, overtime. I, I didn't expect going in, but um, maybe it sustained my energy. So uh, it, was, it was cool, though. It was cool to be part of that. You say quite the meal. What was it? You know, some spicy pork and uh, broccoli. Not the best. 2022 Stanley Cup Playoff CarCast Edition of 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Jeff Merrick along with you at my home studio in lovely Stouffville, Ontario. Elliot in his motor vehicle driving home after working another exciting edition of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's begin with the game. Kapanen drifts to the far corner with it. Up the wall now. Back to the point for Marino. Wrist shot. Scores! Evgeny Malkin plays hero. Deflection past Shesterkin. And you can slap it on the Broadway marquee. The Penguins take game one and lead this series one game to nothing. Now... That counts as two games for Pittsburgh, right? Like they lead the series two nothing now, right? By winning that game, am I am I right on that one, Elliot? I would say the Rangers would disagree with you <laughs> respectfully. The Rangers would say that would only count as one victory. What a game! What a game that was, Elliot. That was fantastic. That was a great, great game. I mean, we've been spoiled so far. The first two nights have been really, really good. You know, all credit to Louis Domingue and the the spicy pork and broccoli that he had, not thinking he was going to play. You know, you, you think about, like, think about the precipice the Penguins are on, right? You know, they, oh, they yeah. don't have Tristan Jari and maybe game three at the earliest. They lose Casey to Smith and lower body injury. And... Louis Domingue, and they have an e-bug getting dressed. Reed Robertson from Manhattanville College getting dressed to play just in case. And, you know, they're really on the precipice there. If anything happens to Domingue, it is big, big trouble. But he comes out, he makes 17 saves. The Rangers had some great A chances too. And, you know, like this might prove to be, Jeff, a, a wrong take. History might prove me wrong here, but I think the Penguins needed that game more than the Rangers did just because the Penguins are older. And if they lose that game, it's bigger trouble for them than it is the Rangers. Agree or disagree? No, no, no. I completely agree. And the other thing is the Rangers have owned the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like the last couple of seasons, the Rangers have dominated the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I know we... The, the sane thing to do is take regular season stats and play and, and regular season matchups, crumple them up and throw them out. But in this situation, you wonder about things living in between the ears of other teams. And the Penguins have been owned by the Rangers. They win that one in that fashion against a goaltender. Let's not forget, like Louis Domingue is one story here. So is Igor Shosturkin. 79 saves, a new Rangers record. He was phenomenal all night long. I do have to ask you, though, 
was that goalie interference? See, Kevin and Kelly both thought it was goalie interference. I thought the Rangers really handled it well in the post game. They said it could have gone; it was fifty-fifty either way. Yeah. You know, Kevin, the defenseman, and Kelly, the goalie, went for goalie interference. My feeling that it wasn't goalie interference was simply because I think Kako goes across the top of the crease if he's not pushed by yes. Dumoulin. That's how I saw it. I saw him skating on the top of the crease, and he got shoved in. And I don't know what a forward is supposed to do in that situation. First of all, you're allowed to go to the net hard. Last time I checked, you're not allowed to drive into a goaltender, but you're allowed to go hard around the top of the crease. And then he got pushed, and it took the whole fracas all the way to the outside of the uh, of the far post. And again, it would have ruined a a great experience, a triple overtime game. But I don't think that game should have gotten to overtime in the first place. You know, the other thing we got to keep an eye on here is that uh, one of the Rangers defensemen got hurt and Raquel got hurt on, on a big hit, too. And Ryan Lindgren got hurt blocking a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and Lindgren Raquel- also hit uh, Raquel and there was no update on him post game. And the Lindgren hit, someone sent me a note that January 2020, Lindgren had a big hit on uh, Jonas Donskoy when Donskoy was still with the Avalanche. Almost the exact same hit. And he actually had a phone hearing. And after the hearing, he wasn't suspended because after going through it, they said that he did everything properly and there was no suspension. I showed it to Kelly and Kevin. I found it online, Jeff. It looked almost the same as this one. I don't think he got his head as the principal point of contact. If no. anything, I wondered if it was late. Kelly and mm. Kevin said no. I don't think there's anything there. I could be wrong, but yeah. I don't think there's anything there. Uh, the other thing, you know, you mentioned the Pittsburgh Penguins on a precipice too. They're skating on a precipice this entire playoff with the thoughts that this might be the last hurrah with this group. Whether it's Rust. Rust was excellent, by the way. I thought Russ had a great game. So was Latang, Malkin with the game winner. You know, in the back of everyone's mind is still, we're probably seeing the last of this rock and roll band. I want to get to a couple of other games we've seen so far in the first couple of days of the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on Vancouver and Jim Rutherford, Patrick Galvin, comments uh, about, amongst other things, and we'll start with the coach here, Bruce Boudreau. Uh, oh boy. Um... Rutherford says he, you know, doesn't want to give Boudreaux a contract extension until he coaches for an entire season. Well, he knows we want him back. He was told that before the season was over. And he knows our position. Like I said, he he did a terrific job, but he didn't coach a whole season here. And uh, we we would like to see him back. and, uh, And that's certainly not to say that at the end of next year we wouldn't want him back. He continues to do the job he's doing. We have an exclusive time period to negotiate a new contract at the end of next season. And I just feel that as good a job as he's done, it wasn't a a full season. It seems like the ball's in his court. You've told him you'd like him to come back. When do you need a decision? Well, in our agreement, both sides have till June 1st. So how do you see the... Boudreaux situation right now in Vancouver now that Jim Rutherford has come out and publicly commented on it. Well, I mean, you know, there, there were some reports on the weekend that they were getting close. 
And I had a couple people telling me it's not getting close. I think I said that on your show on Monday. Yeah. And a couple people telling me, don't go there. Like, it's not getting close. And, you know, Jim Rutherford gave us the answer. And, um, like, Jim Rutherford, like, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's great with the media. He's a really good talker. I really like talking to him. But he's not a guy who backs down, you know, from a fight or anything like that. And I don't necessarily know if this is a fight. But it's a little bit of hardball. And that's the one thing I wonder. Sometimes something gets said at a time, and then we see, does the line move? Does that change? Is it part of a negotiation process? You know, does Jim Rutherford reserve the right to change his mind later? Do they feel that in any way, shape, or form that what Boudreaux was asking for is too much? They just said, no, forget it. Like, I always think, what are the moving parts behind the scenes here? I think the other thing here, too, is Jim Rutherford saying, I want to see what Bruce Boudreaux's move is going to be. Like, one of the first things that I wondered about is, you know, there's a general manager in Philadelphia who knows him really well. Like, is Chuck Fletcher in any way, shape, or form going to want to talk to Bruce Boudreaux? And so I just wonder if there's a little bit of, poker going on hmm. and you know maybe maybe there isn't maybe jim rutherford says nope this is just the way it is but i also do wonder if as we record this date just flipped to may the 4th may has 31 days that gives us basically 27 28 days to figure this out right yes i wonder is this a hard no or is it part of a conversation a strategy do the lines move somewhere? Does Jim Rutherford want to see where Bruce Boudreaux is? But I do wonder, are other teams going to reach out to the Canucks and say, you know what, we'd like to maybe talk to him? And maybe the Canucks want to see the landscape too. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if we haven't heard the end of this whole situation. Well, the one thing that Rutherford, a couple of things that Rutherford spoke about, um, about his team, uh, you know, he talked about wanting more structure in the game. He was quite candid about not liking the way the Vancouver Canucks played and focused in specifically on zone exits. Like coming away from this, you know the impression that I got, Elliot? I'll be quite blunt with you. The impression I got was he thought the Vancouver Canucks under Bruce Boudreau was a mirage. He talked about relying on the goaltending too much and the goalie saved all these games, didn't like the way we played, we didn't have any structure. Sure, they still piled up some wins, but we've seen that before. I came away with the idea that I don't think that Rutherford, A, liked the way his team played and maybe thought all those wins were just a mirage. What did you think? I've dealt with Jim Rutherford a lot over the years, a lot. And one of the reasons I like dealing with him is that if you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer. And he'll give you a pretty honest answer. I have found over the years is that Jim Rutherford has never been dishonest with me. I can never remember once him being dishonest with me. But what I do remember is that he decides how honest he wants to be in the sense of how much information am I going to give you? Like, I never question whether or not he's telling me the truth. I think what I always am, am wondering is how much of the picture is he willing to give me at this particular time? And so... 
everything that Jim Rutherford said today, or uh, sorry, I don't even know what day it is anymore, Jeff. Yesterday, today, <laughs> it's East West time zone. Who knows? Everything that Jim Rutherford said on Tuesday in Vancouver was the truth as he sees it. To me, the most noteworthy thing is he probably gave us a lot more of the truth than he might have if there was common ground on an extension. So that's why I wonder, is this all part of like a negotiating tactic? I'll tell you what I don't believe for a second. I don't believe that Bruce Boudreau and his representatives or and Jim Rutherford have not talked about an extension. I don't believe it. I think they absolutely talked about it. What do we know right now? They don't have one. So I think what this could have been from Rutherford today is I'm giving you a bit more honesty in the sense that here's why I have the, I'm taking the position I'm taking. I still think he believes that Bruce Boudreau did a good job with the team this year, but not to the point where he says, I'm giving Boudreau the contract that maybe he wanted. If that is what he wants, it's not going to be here right now. Mm -hmm. That's what I think this is. It's you could get it, but not here right now. And that's the impression that I have of what Rutherford did. Okay. One more thing on Vancouver, um, the JT Miller talk. And we saw Jim Rutherford, you know, we talking to Dan and sat on, um, uh, on six fifty. you know, he talked about age curves about JT Miller and talked about when you sign a player in their thirties and you sign them and you're put in a position, you have to sign them long-term. What you have to weigh in that decision is how much that player is going to give you in the first three years compared to the last three years. You know, at some point in time, there's going to be a decline in the player's play. Okay. But does he give you that much more in the first three years that offsets the last three years? And then when you're dealing with the player, like the example you're giving in JT Miller, he's coming off a career year. He's a very good player. Players like him are hard to find that can put up points and they're strong and they're physical and things like that. But we're going to negotiate with his agent this off season and we're going to negotiate in a way that, that works for the Canucks, not only for now, but long-term. And if both sides can come to an agreement, then JT Miller will be here long-term. Um, if the numbers uh, get out of whack, then we have to make a non-emotional decision and, uh, and make a tough decision that won't be popular with anybody and, and, and try to get assets that are going to help this franchise long-term. What's your Jim Rutherford decoder ring saying about that conversation? Well, you know, I think he's telling the truth. Like, I do think the biggest question with Miller is term, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that is what he is saying, is that if Miller wants, say, seven or eight years, it's probably not going to be in Vancouver. If it's five years and they have to bend the elastic a certain way on the AAV, I think they're potentially more willing to do that. As we've talked about, I think Horvat is a big priority for them. And the other thing is, if you've listened to Ben Hankinson in the past couple of days, and he was on Rick Dollawall's show, and plus also, if you listen to Brotherford the past couple of days, I think they are really trying to get something done with Besser. So I am kind of trying to figure it out. I, I think that what Rutherford is saying is that 
if Miller wants to stay and he's saying all the right things, it's going to have to be about term. And again, Brian Bartlett, who represents Miller, says, well, I think term's a little bit of a fallacy because we've seen players have career highs now at age 32, right? Stamkos, Stamkos was, I think, one of the one of the examples. Here yes, was. one of the... So, like, I mean, this is the dance. This is the dance. Now, I will say this. One of the guys I wonder about there is Ekman Larson. And once again, Ekman Larson has control over this. But I do think the Canucks have at times this year tried to see is there a market there so i don't know where this is gonna go i just think they've had their feelers out there and i i think they've tried to see if there's potentially a market there for them but don't forget oel has control Back to the games here, Elliot. So we talked about the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Other games on Tuesday. Just fly through a couple of quick thoughts here on, on a few of these games as we go CarCast style. The Calgary Flames beat the Dallas Stars, but it wasn't necessarily easy getting there. Shoots and scores! Just five seconds into their power play. Elias Lindholm rips the puck past Jake Ottinger. And it's one nothing Flames. Lindholm with the goal, and that was it. one nothing. Ottinger on one side, Markstrom on the other side. Some real rugged play from some Calgary Flames players. You guys highlighted Blake Coleman. Took a tough hit from Yanni Hockenpah of the Dallas Stars. He had a really interesting and physical game, and that's the kind of game where a guy like Blake Coleman really thrives. How did you see game one between the Flames and the, and the Stars? I thought I was watching NFL films circa 1948, like three yards in a cloud of dust. (laughs) You know, of all the games that unfolded the way that you thought they would, I thought that was the one. You know, a couple things. Kelly talked about how Mitch Marner had the big first night of the playoffs, and it's the monkey off his back. Like, I think that was a big confidence booster for the first line, especially Goudreau. one nothing, 20 seconds left or whatever it was offensive zone draw and you put them out there and you know Kachuk made a hell of a play oh he was great but I have to say that I thought that was big moment for that first line and for Goudreau Daryl Sutter says one nothing you guys are going to protect the lead and and he gave them the shot and they did it you know the one thing the one play I look at in that game Jeff that I thought about a lot was I guess was Pavelski and and Hintz had a a two-on-one and Hintz missed the net, like that line is not going to get a lot of chances. They got to bury those chances if Dallas is going to have a shot. That was the the third period, two-on-one you're talking about? Yes, yes. Yeah, just shot a little bit wide to the right. <sighs> Nashville and Colorado, 7-2 is the final. Tough night for Dave Riddick, five goals on 13 shots. He gets pulled. Connor Ingram comes in. This game was all Colorado. And welcome back, Gabriel Landeskog. He scores. Kale McCarr scored an absolute beauty. Is that Gabe Landeskog or Peter Forsberg? Now Kale McCarr has the puck. High in the zone. Works down the wall away from Janot. Kale McCarr out in front. He scores! He did it again! He did it again! It's Chicago Times 2! Kale McCarr spun down the near side boards away from the forward and he tucked it in short side! Kale McCarr is not human! Oh, hell, Kale! Dad in 
insult to injury. He Andrew Cogliano, we should mention, his day-to-day with the upper body injury. And did it not seem like, and maybe the most obvious one was Luke Cunning, the Nashville Predators were trying to get Nazem Kadri to do something dumb, thinking they could goad him into doing something. That was message sending, which, uh, you know, the, like Toronto and Tampa got a bunch of fines at the end of uh, game one the other night. Look, they were beaten. It was. It's still only game one. It was an awful night for them, and they were trying to do what they could, maybe to turn the momentum or change things around. The ESPN cameras got a shot of Kadri at one point, and his eyes were wide. And I was looking at it, and I was, I was saying, "Boy, I, I hope he keeps his cool." So that's a big victory. I think you're right, Jeff. I think it was a big victory for Kadri that. You know, he kind of recognized what was going on there, and he, and he kept himself calm. You know, I have to tell you, I, I've always loved Dave Riddick's story. You know, he's got a brother on the spectrum, and yeah. that was one of the great stories about Dave Riddick, about, you know, how he took care of his brother. And uh, in a lot of ways, I've kind of rooted for him over the years because of that. And, uh, boy, that was that was just a, a, a brutal night for him, really tough to watch. And... I got to think they're coming back with Connor Ingram in game two. Now, you sent me a note about Askarov, the first-round pick who just signed in the American Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I was listening to Chuck Fletcher on Tuesday talk about Fedotov, who had a great year in the KHL, and he said, look, like we think he can play here next year, but you never know with a European goalie coming over. You got to get used to the traffic. You got to get used to the ice. I don't know. I, w- I was talking about this with someone, Jeff, after you put it on my radar. You think? Are you going to throw think? that kid in that? No way, man. <laughs> Welcome here. I, I I don't know, man. Like, he's going to Milwaukee. I have the sense that that's where he's... St- I could be wrong, but... It was a good idea. Like, when you sent it to me, I was like, you know what? Like, I was on my national radio hit last Thursday, and they asked me if there's... Any- I thought there was any chance that Skarov could play for them if Saros can I was like, I hadn't heard that. And then he signed, you mentioned it. But I did ask someone, not connected with the Predators, but someone who kind of, I think, would have good intel. And he said, man, I think that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Uh, Nashville's in tough against a really good Colorado Avalanche team. Um, Florida Panthers and Washington Capitals. Uh, Capitals win this one 4-2. to The one thing that I think we all noticed watching this one to begin, Florida came out just trying to, pound the Washington Capitals into submission. Like, to start that game freeze, that was like, Florida came out like, okay, we're playing bumper cars, and we're playing bumper cars now. That was, uh, that was a, little bit of a, a little bit of a surprise from this microphone. And people were all over Toronto about that, you know, play to your identity. In Florida's case, like, I think Florida's a, a tough team. I think they are. But I do think they kind of got out of their way a little bit. Like, I don't overreact to game one, and I'm sure they'll be better, especially with Tom Wilson getting hurt. Yeah. That's a huge victory for the Capitals. A huge victory for them. Uh, when Kuznetsov tied it, you're like, uh-oh. And then Oshie and Eller salted away Vitek Vanacek with 29 saves in that one. Because we haven't had a, we haven't done a podcast since uh, the opening night of the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, a couple of things here, just a, a couple of notes and a couple of thoughts on each of the other games that we saw, uh, these games on Monday night. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs handle the Tampa Bay Lightning. It is probably, I would have to say, the best overall team performance that we've seen from the Maple Leafs 
this season, maybe with this entire combination of hockey players, how would you frame it for each? I, I agree with that, Jeff. I thought I think that's the best game I've ever seen this group of Maple Leafs play. Like, I think that may be the best playoff. And I have to say I didn't go back through all of them, but I think that may be the best playoff game I've seen the Maple Leafs play since I always remember the one ninety three when they beat St. Louis to advance to play the Kings. They beat them six nothing in, in game seven. That's uh, the one I kind of always remember. That's the best game I've seen that group play. And that was the best I've seen them play. That's the worst I've seen the Lightning play. And I don't want that to take away from my credit to Toronto because part of the reason Tampa played so badly was because of how the Leafs play. They won every puck battle. They won. They were faster. Campbell got a shutout. And, of course, he made some really good saves. But I didn't think Campbell had to, like, save their bacon over and over again because I just thought they were really good. I am really curious to see the counterpunch in game two from Tampa. I, you know, Kucherov was weird. I thought he was passing the puck a lot. I got to think Tampa's going to be a lot different. But Toronto's going to have bunting coming in. That Toronto win, like I said, I think it's the best game I've ever seen them play as a group. Penalty kill turned it around the five minute. Was that the uh, the turning point, safe to say? And the penalty kill pretty much like all game long for the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether it was Marner, Kampf, Kasha, Engvall, Kerfoot, Mikheyev, Blackwell. Some really good, you know, middle middle six and in Marner's case, top line, two-way players on this team. I thought they were great. And you know what? The tea party that is the Toronto crowd, that was the wildest <laughs> Leaf crowd I've seen since Maple Leaf Gardens. Like normally, normally Scotiabank Arena, like I said, it's like a tea party, and and that was no tea party. That was that was legit. That was an energized crowd from the mo- and you really noticed it. Matthews' first shift was the third one in, and the buzz and the MVP chance when he hit the ice. I remember like uh, Sam Cassell, the great basketball player. He played college basketball at Florida State. He called North Carolina a wine and cheese crowd once. And, you know, I always thought about that. That was not Toronto's typical wine and cheese crowd. No, not at all. Okay, I want to get to the uh, the Los Angeles Kings here and the Edmonton Oilers. Now, you talked a lot going into this one about one player specifically, and that's Philip Deneau. And Philip Deneau was great. You know who else was great? Alex Iafalo. And Trevor Moore, that line. So Mike Kelly from NHL Network and Sport Logic tweeted this one out from Game One stats. Okay, from the Iafalo to No More line. Time on ice. This is uh, even strength five on five. Ten forty two. Shots eight four LA. Slot shots five to one LA. Goals three nothing LA. Rush chances against that line. Zero. That is doing a job, Elliot. And I listen. Jonathan Quick was excellent. Thirty-six saves, great job. But that line to me was the story of that game. I agree with you. Now I'm not expecting Arvidsson to play in Game Two, so they're you know they'll be together again. I assume that group. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Dino, playoff player, and. Someone actually made a, 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 an interesting point to me. He said, he says, I know it's only one game, but he said, did LA not give you a Montreal from last year vibe? 
And remember last year, we jokingly called Montreal, we called them Islanders Light, right? Yeah, yeah. Suffocate you. Look at what the Kings are doing. Like They play structure. They don't do what they're not supposed to do. I'll tell you this. Jay Woodcroft, for a guy who's been a coach for three months, he's got the the 65-year-old NHL coach mind games down to a science. Nurse is a game-time decision. Give us a break. <laughs> I know who I'm playing in game two. I'm just not telling you yeah. who it is. If Edmonton loses the series, they'll look back at that game and they'll say, damn, like that was one we gave away. But I don't think it's a devastating loss for, for Edmonton. I, I don't. I think you wish you would have had that one, but I yeah. still think you can sort that one out. Uh, St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild. A couple of stories here. David Perron with the hat trick. Vili Husso with the shutout. 37 saves. 4 nothing is the final. And Jared Spurgeon avoids a suspension. Your thoughts on game one between these two? Well, Jared Spurgeon is very lucky. There's no question about that. You know, Kelly felt very strongly he should have been suspended. And uh, I don't think Kelly would be the only one who's felt that. I know, I know there were a lot of people. You know, some people think that the Department of Player Safety is, is inconsistent. I actually think they're pretty consistent. And one of the things that you do is for cross-checks where a player is not injured, there's not a lot of suspensions for that. There's fines, but there's not a lot of suspensions. So, you know, as much as everybody hated the look of that, and I was one of the people... When I realized that they don't spend a lot for cross-checks that don't hurt people, I kind of thought that would be the outcome. And I know there's going to be people listening to this podcast who, who swear and say that's stupid and that's dumb. Strat- you say whatever you want. That's fine. I'm just going by what their history is because you know, Damien Echeverrieta has been there 22 years. He keeps all these things on file and he says, this is what yeah. we've done. The only area where they do suspend for cross-checks, even if there isn't an injury, is cross-checks to the head. Those do get special consideration, but by and large, you're right. Malkin and Matthews, you're right. Correct. Do you have any further thought from the Blues end of things here? Uh, maybe David Perron, maybe Vili Husso, maybe something else that I'm leaving out? I mean, Perron is fantastic. was a fantastic player. I just think like Minnesota, you cannot take penalties. You cannot take penalties against this power play. It is too good. And I'll say this, like, that St. Louis team, they look really confident. That was the one thing that really struck me about game one is that every time, especially O'Reilly was on the ice, like, they really seemed to know what they were doing and what they wanted to accomplish. This series is far from over, but, you know, the Wild got schooled a bit in game one. I think they're more than mature enough to recover. I want to see how they counterpunch in game two. Anti-Ranta, 35 saves. Uh, Seth Jarvis with a goal and an assist. Five to one is the final. To me, uh, Ranta, his performance in that first 10 minutes of the Carolina-Boston game where Boston threw every single puck they could find at him, 12 shots in the opening 10 minutes. Uh, to me, anti-Ranta was a story for the Carolina Hurricanes as they draw first blood. 5-1 to one is the final score there. And I, and I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, uh, you know, that was the thing we were all waiting to see was how would Ranta handle it. And you could tell as he weathered that storm, you know, the confidence in the Hurricanes grew. And uh, Tara Vinen, 
his goal was beautiful. Jarvis's goal was beautiful. Now, a couple of the other ones were kind of ugly, but like Ronta wins that game in the first 10 minutes because the Hurricanes see he's up to the challenge and they begin to get going and feel really good about themselves. And uh, that's the way I kind of see the, the, that game. He bought them time. And he bought them confidence. Uh, you know, look, I, I think you can say all the right things about, oh, we've got two number ones and this is the way it's supposed to be set up. But until you really see it, I don't know how much you really believe it. And at least with Carolina, they could really believe it after those first 10 minutes were over. Okay, Elliot, a couple of quick notes here to wrap up the podcast. Uh, day three of the Stanley Cup playoffs on the horizon, but a couple of things first. Uh, are you hearing any names around the Winnipeg Jets behind the bench? You know, just a couple of things that I'm curious about. There's a couple of people with Winnipeg connections. Like, like I said, I, I think Kevin Shevelyoff, when he said it's going to be a, a wide search, you know, one of the names that a couple of people have said to me, they wonder about is Scott Arneal, assistant coach in Washington, Winnipeg history, played for the Jets, has been a head coach once before, He's a guy who's been really valued as an assistant coach since he was a head coach. So Arneal is one guy I'm wondering about. I am curious, too, to see if the Jets talk to Randy Carlisle at all. I've heard he would like to coach again. And I just wonder if the Jets look for somebody who's got a bit of a connection to the market. I don't think that's the number one reason you hire a coach. But I think that, you know, Winnipeg values that. And I, I, just, I look at people like Arneal and Carlisle, and, and I just wonder if their history with the market kind of gets them in the door a little bit too, in addition to their other qualities. Interesting. Uh, we'll end it there. It's a little bit after 2 o'clock Eastern, uh, and it's time we all went to bed because there's more hockey on the horizon. So, Elliot, taking us out is an Irish artist who dropped out of school to pursue his passion for music. Graham Cooney, stage name Yankee, has been recording and producing his own music since he was 15 years old. His lo-fi indie pop sound gives off 70s analog vibes with catchy lyrics as well. From his latest, here's Yankee with Dolly on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. Staying up faded, laid on my phone. Head's been jaded, leave me alone. Terrible trouble, pain in the head. I'm seeing double bacon and legs. I got a new percolator ready to go. Never felt greater, leave me alone. Terrible trouble, pain in the head. I'm seeing double so long.